This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wait, he's very fast. Yeah. The world's greatest team of heroes has finally come home. Home sweet home. It's Justice League, not so fast. All them heroes is in the house. Just watch. Welcome, everyone, to episode 222 of the DCAU Review. A lot of, a lot of rhymes in there. Uh, I am Liam, and with me, playing Hurt this week, is my, uh, my co-host and good brother, Cal. Cal, we are in the middle of Flash Month, and, uh, and we've got another Flash Wally West-focused episode to talk about this week. That's right, Liam. We are continuing in our Flash Month, and as you can hear, I'm a little bit under the weather, so we're going to soldier on. I appreciate you working with the schedule this week and uh, in time to uh, record this. Recording, what am I talking about? Every time you press play, this is a live <laughs> episode, so uh, thanks for thanks for working with me every time somebody pl- presses play and giving me enough time to get to the microphone. But uh, yeah, we are uh, covering a season two episode of Justice League, so we're staying with the Justice League theme here for the second week and uh, that is going to be parts one and two of the Justice League episode Eclipsed which uh, originally aired back on November the 8th 2003 so at this point they were showing both episodes at the same time uh, as opposed to stretching them out over a pair of weeks so uh, both episodes debuted you didn't have to wait too long after that uh, that cliffhanger at the end of the first episode. (laughs) That's right. So yes, before we get into our plot, visuals, music, and and uh, and voice acting scores, Cal, I will of course grace the listeners with our official IMDb synopses. That's right, there's two of them since it's oh, yeah. a two-parter. And of course, the IMDb synopses are brought to you by the Pod Tower YouTube channel, uh, where you can find not only all of our episodes but also content from other great DCAU content creators. So uh, head over to youtube.com slash the pod tower and uh, go ahead and subscribe. It helps us out uh, immensely on that platform. But uh, here we go with the two synopses for this episode, which was uh, written by Joseph Cure, directed by Dan Reba, with music by Christopher Carter and animation by Coco. And those synopses read as such. Released by a soldier, an evil entity takes control of various people and threatens the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for part two, with the other members of the Justice League possessed by the entities, the Flash must find a way of stopping them from carrying out their plan to exterminate humanity. Those are pretty solid. I didn't. Uh, I, I mean, I, again, I'm under the weather here, but from what I heard, those those have been maybe the most solid ones I've heard. The first one, the wording, you know, various people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you could have been a little bit more specific. You could have been more specific that this it's an ancient snake people attempting to uh, to possess various people. But hey, you know, pretty solid. Beggars can't be choosers. I give it a B. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's more than fair. So that will bring us into our plot summary here, Cal, and we kick off, which I feel like a lot of Justice League episodes, maybe just ones we've covered recently, 
but uh, they all open with like somebody in a desert finding an evil thing. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are this week, we have a, a group of soldiers who are apparently on some sort of stakeout. They're sort of hunting down some local warlord, but they notice sort of a strange man and uh, old man in, in this sort of strange garb sort of parkouring his way through the, the cliff sides of this mountain. And they come across a cave and when they go inside not only do they find a lot of skeletons and dead bodies but they find a mysterious black crystal uh sitting in sort of this pool of light and as one of the uh, soldiers goes up to touch it uh this this strange old man who we find out later is named Mofir uh attacks all of them and seemingly has them all dead to rights but is eventually subdued and and knocked unconscious <laughs> World enders, touch not the black heart. No fear preserves the world. What is he? Local color. Sorry, you okay? Uh, in the process that allows one of the soldiers to grab hold of this, uh, this mysterious gem. And when he does, we see some really trippy visuals, which we'll certainly talk about later on. But uh, it becomes very clear that there's some sort of evil uh, spirits inside of this gem. And they have since possessed this soldier. And that is made evidence as he immediately opens fire on his, uh, on his fellow soldiers and uh, throws a grenade, which sort of causes a lot of rubble to fall down on them and uh that's our 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 break into the into the theme song from there and as we we pick things up in after the theme song we get what appears to be uh the flash in action against some of his most classic uh rogues including mirror master captain boomerang and heatwave but uh, we quickly learn that this is in fact an advertisement and that Flash has decided to start uh, using his superheroic fame in order to make a little side cash and uh, is doing so uh, in commercials, which gives way into this, uh, this, pun this sort of talking head pundit character named uh, Grant Gottfried, um, who is, uh, boy, like you talk about a thing that uh, is just omnipresent. Like, I guess, like, Bill O'Reilly and people, like, of that ilk already existed when this was being produced. But, uh, man, like, I was like, if you turn this guy's hair brown, he's Tucker Carlson. Like, this is, like, straight out of, like, modern, you know, cable news, talking head, fear-mongering, right? Like, this, they, they really nailed that. And they used uh, this character, Godfrey, who was, uh, it was actually a member of the New Gods, was was uh, one of Darkseid's minions, though we never get that reveal or really even a hint of that in this story. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a funny turn and certainly plays out. And I think, you know, that 
obviously Bill O'Reilly and certainly uh, counterparts on, on other sides of the aisle have existed since probably the, the, the Bush administration. So those, uh, those, but it feels even more based on the, the heightened divide between political parties. It feels even and uh, being, being here on television and cable, any time of the day, you can turn on a, on MSNBC, Fox or CNN and likely see one of these types of shows of people yelling at you about how enraged you should be about everything feels right on point here in 2022. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not gonna, not gonna lie. It definitely feels like it. And, and just sort of the, the pompous gotcha attitude of, the uh, of the host also bringing a, bringing on a on a on a character and using their own words against them and then quickly uh, quickly ducking out for for the end of the show felt very very familiar so yeah that's uh, that that captured uh, something that was probably in its infancy stages uh, in in two thousand and two or two thousand and three but uh, has since is just obviously ubiquitous it's everywhere see this is what these self appointed guardians of humanity are really about. Cashing in on their image, shilling for whoever's got the deepest pockets. It's not enough that they turn our kids into bullies and delinquents with their arrogant might-makes-right policy. Once again, the glorious one tells it like it is. Am I right, folks, or am I right? right! How dare you open up the league to this kind of criticism? Hey, I wasn't that bad. Listen, we're a team. How people see you affects all of us. Then a single guy like you should be thanking me. Because I've been finding out the ladies love a celebrity. You done with those? Absolutely. So yeah, it did feel it did feel like I said very uh, ever present as a uh, as a modern analog. But yes, we have Flash and Green Lantern are sort of seeing this guy talk down to him, and Flash is uh, showing off his his uh, what he's purchased with his uh, his endorsement deals, which is a van. <laughs> Uh, for some Flash reason, like, that's right. With a uh, with a like a, a cheetah print bed in the back seat, and uh, and as he and Green Lantern are, are sitting there watching this uh, this blowhard Godfrey continue to disparage the Justice League, the Flash once again, as is the theme, it seems with a lot of his episodes, is he's running in without thinking, and so he runs over to the studio and tries to give Godfrey a piece of his mind, but of course Godfrey immediately turns it on him and twists his words and makes uh, the flash look like a fool which sort of makes the flash feel uh, quite stupid and as as we go from there we see that uh, Mofir is sort of uh, emerging from the ruins and is able to uh, take de- takes off the uh, the gear of one of the fallen soldiers which apparently is a a good match for him and he's uh, he's on the hunt to try to stop this gem and we see this soldier Burns who had picked up the uh, the gem is now riding a shotgun in a vehicle with a with another soldier and uh, is sort of asking him all these strange questions. Even pulls the the, the soldier's own uh, sidearm on him and keeps asking him questions about what the most dangerous weapons are in the uh, in the world. And uh, at that point, he gets he gets word that it would in fact being. Uh, it would in fact be a nuclear weapon and so the uh, the soldier the uh, the possessed soldier continues on and we cut to uh, to the flash doing yet another endorsement and he has kind of a, a falling out with the director and his agent being a superhero i'm always on the run and i can't afford to slow down for anything not even gastrointestinal distress so when i need fast 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 relief from the cramping burning itching oh i can't say this 
What's the problem? Cramping, burning, itching? What pinhead wrote this garbage? Your sponsors. They can kiss my boots. I'm not saying it. You're his agent. You deal with him. Listen, Bunky, you know you're my number one guy. Talk to me. Artie Bauman's completely here for you. You say the word, we walk. Great. Let's go. You can't. We already got paid, and I spent my 60%. Forget it. No one's asking the other guys to do this sort of thing. That's because they don't have what you have. What, my speed, my charm? They don't have me as their agent, so tell them to call me, especially that big gal with the rope. Now, let's make some magic. And, uh, of course, it, it seems like the agent is in a little bit of a sticky situation uh, with Flash refusing to do the commercial, but, of course, that just leads to uh, the agent turning the tape over to Gottfried for uh, for more propaganda to make the Justice League look bad, and and that sort of leads us to this uh, this following sequence where uh, this this general we hear is is talking about this new device that's going to be like an anti nuclear missile uh, defense weapon. It supposedly disarms like the core of the these nuclear weapons. An you know, one of those fusion, an anti fusion device, of course. What else right. would that would is that just a fission device then? <laughs> good good call. I, I have no idea. Well, there you go, but. But yes, is the, that general also then becomes in uh, in contact with the gem at that point. Meanwhile, Burns is uh, now doesn't have any memory of what's what's been going on. But this general is now in possession of the gem, and uh, as he, he uh, is going through sort of the the halls of this uh, this military base, he comes across a television broadcast in the mess hall where he hears Godfrey once again criticizing the justice league and talking about how they had enough power to destroy the whole world which gets his attention and uh, he asks one of his fellow soldiers how one would go about getting the attention of the justice league and uh, the 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 other uh, the other military man tells him that he should uh, consider putting on a strange costume and threatening to blow up the world and uh, this general it does just that and that's how we that's that's our our reason of how we can work in the comic book Eclipso costume for this week's episode, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those when you look back at it in the in the the Silver Age or the Bronze Age of of comic books, and you're like, "Huh? What, can you explain to me why this is a costume? Like, what <laughs> what is this? Why is he painted? I mean, like Eclipse, sure, but you mean to tell me that every every single time he gets ready and puts on this costume." he sits there and meticulously puts on face paint. Like, granted, it's just one shade. It's not like it's got a whole bunch of detail on it or something. But he's got to sit there and, and apply apply makeup before he goes out every single time. <laughs> and, uh, and as we understand it, this is, uh, this is, this is a, a war general under mind control uh, from some, some serpents. So something tells me that the serpents didn't, weren't using a lot of makeup back when they were walking the earth. And uh, I don't think the general would be, you wouldn't think that the general would be too familiar with how to apply makeup correctly. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those, those costumes that you look back at it now, it's got the weird hat. It's got the logo, but I love the tongue in cheek. Well, you put on a gaudy costume, you're going to catch the attention of the justice league. And even they say where all these weirdos come from when, uh, when he does pop up. 
uh, soon thereafter. So yeah, it is, it is pretty, uh, pretty tongue in cheek way to introduce the, uh, the classic justice league villain Eclipso. Yeah. And uh, from there, that's sort of the, the wrapping up of part one there is flash and green lantern. Uh, this, this Eclipso, uh, causes an explosion at a nuclear power plant. So Flash, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman arrive and Flash and Green Lantern help to put out the fire and contain the uh, the explosion while Wonder Woman pretty easily defeats them because he's just a regular guy <laughs> with a gun. So, uh, so Wonder Woman takes care of him pretty easily. But of course, then she grabs the stone and that's our, our end of part one there is now the, now the, the stone has made its way just as it planned has made its way to the uh, to the Justice League. The only yeah. thing, the only thing that I'll mention that we we haven't mentioned just yet is is that you they give the uh, the the viewers at home a little heads up as to what's going on because when the when the person is now in possession of the uh, the black heart they uh, they they start whistling their own theme song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gives you an idea once the once the diamond has been passed to somebody else and and it kind of gives the the viewer at home even if you can't see that it's in their possession um it kind of gives this ominous tone and it's it's literally the same piece of music that played at the beginning uh when the soldiers are you know defending themselves against uh against Mofir and then once the other soldier picks up the diamond for the first time and then uh it's a little subtle hint not so subtle hint for those watching at home to give you a heads up as to now uh who just who the uh, the serpent people are in are in possession of at that point hey princess fire's out need a hand in here no he's finished a little harsh are you feeling all right i'm fine but there's still so much to do that's good yeah definitely definitely has that like horror movie vibe to it or something's just that's how you know the the next person's gotten possessed or whatever there so that is a good bit there to end part one of wonder woman sort of walking towards the camera humming that tune so we uh, we pick up in part two as now the military is of course interrogating the general who they believe to be this supervillain terrorist who was trying to blow up the world and, and green lantern is involved and asking him why he was trying to steal a weapon. And uh, of course, the general points out that this, uh, this anti-fusion device is not a weapon. And in fact, the only thing it could be useful for is to go knock out a star, he said very deliberately, setting up the third act of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for, yes, from there, we, uh, we again see Wonder Woman continually acting strange. And as they sort of begin to leave and head back to the watchtower, they are all attacked by Mofir. He kind of comes up from behind and knocks down Flash and Green Lantern and goes after Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman seemingly has him dead to rights, but uh, but then uh, Mofir pulls this big red gem that's on his chest, and it turns out it also, a lot of magical gems across this episode, this magical gem actually casts out the evil spirits and uh, and it causes wonder woman to sort of faint but before mofir can explain his actions green lantern knocks him out and they uh, they take him to a local jail where he's sort of rambling and raving and as the justice league begins to leave he uh, he happens to mention 
a, a specific phrase that he that Flash had also heard the general say while he was under uh, possession of the stone. And that sort of jogs Flash's memory and asks him to explain what exactly he knows. And so Mofir gives us our, our history lesson here, our exposition of what this gem is, that there was some sort of prehistoric battle between uh, sort of the er early man and uh, a group of snake people, you know. A tale is always time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that at the end of the battle, when it looked like the snake men were going to lose, they waited for the night that an eclipse was happening, the day an eclipse was taking place. And they sent all of their souls and evil powers into this one gem. And so uh, Mofir's people, his tribes have, uh, have watched over this stone for all these years, but now it's finally made its way back into the world. And whoever, is in, whoever possesses the stone is possessed by these snake creatures. And they only have one goal, which is to destroy all mammals, as we keep hearing throughout the rest of the episode. And uh, they're going to do that by by attempting to create a new uh, permanent darkness across the earth. So uh, as Flash and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman make it back to the watchtower, they again uh, sort of check on her and she seems to be having her wits about her again. However, they notice that this device, uh, the fusion device is missing and uh, also apart from the watch, from the uh, javelin is also missing and they're a bit confused, but then they, they look over the security cameras and they see that it was Jean, in fact, who, is, who has entered this episode along with Superman and Hawkgirl as well. They, uh, not, none of those three were in part one, but here they, they all come in part two. And, and Jean sort of has no memory of, of this, of course, or at least claims not to. And so Flash decides he's going to use the gem on each member of the Justice League to make sure that none of them are holding on to the, the, the Eclipso diamond. And as he gets through Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman and Superman, all of a sudden, who but Green Lantern blasts the gem to pieces and attacks the rest of the Justice League and uh, has, a, has a pretty fun battle. We'll certainly talk about that in visuals with, uh, with Superman and Martian Manhunter and, and Hawkgirl before finally they're able to get the stone out of his hand. And as it's laying on the ground and, and Flash is instructing everyone not to touch it, oh, Hawkgirl. <laughs> Hawkgirl nearly dooms the planet before, you know, even and not in the way you would expect Hawkgirl to have doomed the planet, like she does later on in Starcrossed. There you go. Uh, but yeah, she uh, she she smashes the the Eclipso diamond to pieces with her big mace, and uh, all of the shards. We see this sort of slow motion shot where Flash dodges out of the way of all these shards, and as he kind of turns around to tell her off and to ask why she didn't warn him, uh, he sees that all members of of the other members of the Justice League now have these pieces of the Eclipso diamond embedded in their skin, which of course means they're all now possessed by uh by this by these snake demons and uh so now it's now it turns into like superhero diehard at this point <laughs> and, uh, flash is flash is trying to fight off and sort of keep away from the justice league he's crawling through air vents trying to get down to uh to a uh, communications array he tries to call batman for help but of course has no response because jean has knocked out the power in the watchtower 
And so uh, he's sort of accosted by Superman and then the rest of the Justice League. The javelin's been damaged, so he can't escape that way. So eventually he, uh, he uses a little bit of ingenuity. We once again, Flash learns to use his head as he kind of gets all of the, the remaining leaguers to follow him down to the, I guess, the main power core for the, uh, for the Watchtower and uh, opens up a big, uh, big bit of shielding which unleashes just the brightest light you've ever seen which is apparently it's good thing to know that it wasn't like magic light and that like theoretically like any right just any, pure light of any kind yes so uh, that's enough to drive the the spirits out of the rest of the justice league and for all of the diamond shards to fall out of their skin thankfully and uh, unfortunately while flash was sort of running away from the various justice leaguers Green Lantern had thrown this anti-fusion device towards what else but a giant star, that in oh, fact no. being the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, so now they're, the Justice League is trying to fast put together a way that they could get this uh, this device that appears to be uh, engulfing the sun. You see, They flash down to Earth and you see a, a big black spot forming across the sun and people running in terror and, and all of that. And Finally, they, they come up with the, the brilliant plan. They're going to use the, the wormhole generator from the, from the watchtower that they use to travel uh, interstellarly. And, uh, but of course, the javelin is damaged. They can't just fly right to it. So instead, Green Lantern gives Flash a big throw and then creates, uh, using his ring, creates a track for the Flash to run on. Some, might call, must... some might call it a cosmic treadmill. Yes, I think the Flash even calls it that, <laughs> that specifically. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yes, yeah. So Flash is sort of on the run of his life, and he has to time it just right to open this wormhole and suck all of the uh, all of the black evil energy out of the sun without tearing the sun in half. And of course, he throws it, and it opens up, and it it just manages to work. And there's a big uh, sort of dramatic explosion flash is sort of caught in that he's off floating in space but thankfully green lanterns is able to catch him and take him back to the watchtower where we see he's recovered and as we uh we wrap up our episode here we we see uh see the justice league sort of being congratulated on on the steps of a uh, city hall they don't really make a <laughs> point of saying where they are but some sort of rally held to uh to celebrate their uh saving the world for the, the 11th time which i just love because i love the idea that like it had been like a month since the Justice League had last <laughs> saved the world. And so people had, so like public opinion had just turned on them and they, had, they were just so mad. And then and then they're like, they saved the world again. They're like, oh, right. That's why we did Justice League. Because yeah. snake demons try to blow up the sun once per week. Right. Uh, so that's a pretty fun bit there as we then see that uh, everyone sort of gets their, their, their comeuppance as this, uh, this evil Godfried is now being reduced to a, a 4 a.m. time slot. And on public uh, I think it's intimated it's on public access too, which was, yes. there was a joke earlier uh, that, that Flash's agent told him that uh, once everything came out with, the footage came out with Flash berating the director of the one commercial that uh, nobody wanted to touch him, not even public access. So it's just That's a little, right. little tie in there with that. Yes, so we see that he's uh, ultimately has to put his foot in, the, in his mouth once that uh, the Justice League has, uh, has saved the day again. And of course, Flash's agent calls him again, saying that, oh, look at all these endorsement deals that are flooding in now that you're popular again. And 
Flash is initially once again sort of taken with the idea, but then looks over at uh, at Green Lantern, who's sort of staring at him disapprovingly, and and uh, and decides ultimately that he's getting out of the endorsement game, but that he does have a good idea of who could be a new spokesperson. Talk to me. Great news, Bunky. Mercury Sports Shoes called and People Like Us magazine. Sports shoes, huh? What did I tell you, babe? You're a star. Uh, sorry, Artie. The endorsement thing's really not working for me. But I know someone who might be looking for representation. Mofir's job to preserve the world. So when Mofir need fast, fast, fast relief from cramping, burning, itching, Mofir always reach for Gloxitol. Okay. At which point we get one of the maybe the silliest endings and and in a good way silly but uh we see that we did find a new uh a new ad uh, ad spokesman for the uh whatever the pills that flash was uh was gastrointestinal yeah it was like gastrointestinal difficulties or something yes basically a, a bino or something like that but uh we in fact have mo fear as the new spokesperson for that brand and we get this really uh, wacky ending of him sort of smiling, smiling in the camera, holding up the box of pills. Uh, so it's it's a pretty uh, a pretty wacky little end to what is a pretty wacky pair of episodes here. Um, so as we as we begin to uh, finish up our plot summary here, here Cal, uh, how are you feeling about this one? Honestly, I, this is one that, uh, admittedly, I, I don't think I had seen until they put this out on DVD. This was not one that we had uh, recorded off of Cartoon Network or that our grandfather had recorded off of Cartoon Network for us. So I wasn't, uh, I'm not familiar, as familiar with the beats for the episode. I think I, I probably watched it a handful of times once the episode came out and, or once we had it on DVD and didn't appreciate it for what it was at the time. But I... I really enjoy it just because of the layered nature of you're, you're continuing to build this flash character into this sort of, even though he's the, he has superpowers, he's almost the most relatable superpowered hero on the team because he thinks with his head first. I mean, he thinks with his, his brain, he doesn't use his brain when he's thinking and uh, he just kind of rushes into things and uh, he ends up getting himself into big messes and that causes a whole bunch of, of eye rolling and, and huffing and puffing from his fellow team members. But then he's at the end of the day, it comes down to him to, to save the day. And then he steps in and does, not only does he, free the justice league from their from their possession of these snake people but then ultimately he prevents the the sun from being put out by this by this weapon so uh all's well that ends well with him it's a lot of fun there's a lot of goofiness with it his interaction this is not a a a serious sit down watch if you're looking for top 10 most serious justice league episodes it's a lot of goofiness it's a lot of banter it's a lot of fun um, his interactions with his agent, his back and forth with uh, with Green Lantern at the beginning of the episode as, as we begin to once again see their relationship continue to deepen and we get a better idea of, of John being the, the straight-laced, no-nonsense cop. If we're doing a buddy cop thing and, and Flash is the mm-hmm. one that's always acting off, rushing rushing in headstrong and getting getting the team into trouble, but still saving the day at the end, which, you know, which causes Green Lantern to roll his eyes and say, next time, do it, do it different, but, you know, still being thankful for his, 
his attributes of being able to save the team regardless. So yeah, I, I think it's a lot of fun. There's a, there's a ton of fun to, to have in the episode. There's a lot of, I think they, they did it well in kind of passing the stone back and forth between people instead of having it just be one person because you're kind of the moving target kind of creates that um, creates that tension of is who's the next person to be possessed. You know, what happens when somebody in the justice league gets possessed? Um, I thought particularly the scene where they, where flash finally goes up to the watchtower and you don't know for that period of time who the compromised member is. That was a, that was a great scene because you have the tension building as he moves that gem around in front of each person and you're kind of clearing each, each member. And then all of a sudden, off screen you see a green blast come through and it's it's green lantern so yeah i really like the story i think it's a lot of fun it was written well um i think uh i think it's the perfect amount of silliness you know your your main story is about a bunch of snake people that once ruled the earth or co-ruled the earth or tried to take over the earth uh in in prehistoric times so it's it's you know it's a little bit silly you can kind of lose some people pretty quickly with that storyline so tying it into this making it about the gem and the possession and all of that and not making eclipso the the main villain for the for the entire episode for entire 44 minutes of of episode is was probably the best decision in my opinion so um i love all the flash stuff i love that he ultimately gets to be the hero at the end i love that uh he gets to to run to to throw the uh throw throw the weapon to to prevent the prevent the sun from dying out i thought that was that was a great way to end it and uh, yeah, so for all those reasons, I ended up giving it a, a pretty strong eight out of 10. What about you? Yeah, I actually, uh, I give it a seven out of 10. So not much different there. Yeah, I think it is, it is a lot of fun. Like I said, I think there's, I guess my own, my only thought is while it is a, a fun B plot. And like I said, it, it has, it has elements of uh, like real world symbolism back then, as you pointed out. And, and even to this day, it doesn't feel like Flash really learns a lesson from like his, you know, his fame chasing in, in part one, other than that, ultimately at the end of part two, he, he chooses not to continue with it. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, overall, like, I think it's, like you said, it's a lot of fun. I like the, the Godfrey character is, it's fun having that as kind of the framing device. So, uh, you know, is, is, is a fun, is kind of a fun beat there. And then, yeah, I do agree that having the gem sort of passed around from person to person throughout the episode, and you aren't quite sure what exactly is going on until you get kind of the big exposition dump part way into uh, part two there. So they don't, uh, they don't overload you with the lore right out of the, right out of the gate there. And, and then, yeah, that, that bit there where, like I said, like where Flash is, is, uh, you know, on his own against the rest of the Justice League who have all been possessed, I think is, is really fun as well. So yeah, it's just, it's a really fun episode and it's, a, it is a good, another good example of an episode where, uh, you know, the Flash is, is once again, maybe while he's, he's used to kind of being the, the comic relief or, uh, you know, doing a lot of uh, not, not necessarily having to do a lot of the thinking for the team. Now, now he's on his own. Now he's got to be the one that makes the decision and, and figures out what's going on. I think that that is a fun, that is a fun uh, kind of juxtaposition for, for where he finds himself in a lot of the series. So uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of fun to be had in this episode and that's certainly reflected in both of our scores. Agreed. 
All right, Cal, and that will bring us on to visuals and animation. This week's uh, the animation services were from Coco, and the episode was directed by Dan Reba. Uh, what stood out to you as far as visual highlights for this week? Um, I think I think starting off, uh, the the first thing that you notice is, as you mentioned, uh, we start out the episode with uh, another desert scene here with people just stumbling upon something that ultimately could uh, lead to the downfall of Earth. So that uh, that that theme continues here. So not sure, you know, the, the coincidence, obviously, of that uh, of that happening. And it's certainly an old story trope. So you can't fault the writers for using a a, a humans uncovering something that uh, that could be the downfall of man storyline uh, because it is a classic, but it's funny that we went back to back, even though uh, last week <laughs> more, more about discovering gorilla city and rather than some sort of gem that would be the downfall, but similar, certainly similar uh, storylines there. So thought that was, that was pretty good. Um, I think that the, uh, the, the flash, the flash commercial uh, leading to the, the reveal of the flash mobile, all of that was, was solid and funny, a, a, a good, a good visual gag. Some of those things, again, I know we're on, we're on cable at this point, but I'm pretty sure this was still TVY seven. So the, the rocking <laughs> of the van and the, the sort of shimmying <laughs> as well as like the, the wiper blades and the, the windshield wiper fluid shooting onto the, the windshield. I don't know how they were able to get that past standards and practices without <laughs> asking for a, for a redo, but they, by golly, they did it. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's a pretty hilarious visual uh, for the, for the scene. Um, yeah, I think uh, Mofir is certainly a unique looking character. That's for sure. I looked up. Uh, so Mofir did not appear that way from what I saw in uh, in his debut in the comics. Mofir actually looked like the Eclipso character um, and was a part of the origin of of the the Eclipso uh, character in the in the uh, in the comics. Uh, he he wore that garb, and then once once the uh, the possessor that turned into Eclipso in the Silver Age, he sort of adopted the garb that Mofir wore. So, uh, not an exact adaptation, but I I thought that uh, he sort of had a definitely had like Smeagol vibes from from Lord of the Rings. Talks in mm -hmm. first person, jumps around a lot, very athletic, walks sort of animalistic on hands and hands and knees, and um, talks in the first person and um or third person rather uh so yeah he he's a entertaining character i think they had just enough of him in the episode to not wear out his welcome so uh, i appreciated that i think that the main standouts are probably the the fight scenes that we get to see the battle uh, the initial battle between uh, the the classic eclipso character versus the justice league is he's blowing up sort of methane gas and you have uh, Green Lantern and and uh, and Flash rushing to figure out how to stop this uh, wall of flames from from progressing. Uh, Green Lantern clearly struggling again. One of those times that it feels like they intimated the yellow weakness in his ring without coming out and saying it clearly because mm -hmm. uh, he's sweating a lot. He's having trouble uh, maintaining concentration. Uh, but he's uh, with the help of the Flash, who does the, a, a classic Flash trick of running into the nearby harbor and creating a a, uh, a water spout cyclone and bringing it to uh, to land, puts out the puts out the fire. So uh, I thought that that was pretty strong. 
um, I think, uh, I think also going out of the way to make sure that you, again, that you're aware of who was being possessed, um, with the, with the sound and the whistling was one way they did it. But for wonder woman, it seemed like they, they gave her this sort of dead eyed stare. Um, so I appreciated, I appreciated that. Um, I think, uh, there is a little bit of comedy with wonder woman also where, where, uh, Godfrey is on the air lambasting her for her choice of outfits and being (laughs) (laughs) and uh, being a role model while dressing the way that she does and she she has this outburst of anger where she smashes the television and then she walks over to a to one of the windows and you get this her staring at her reflection and she turns back to to john and 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 wally and she goes she goes what's wrong with the way that i dress i thought that was great um and then I think wrapping things up, you have the the fight scene between uh, between the Justice League and 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 Flash, um, as as you mentioned, certainly parallels to, uh, to to Die Hard and crawling through vents and trying to stay one step ahead of the uh, these possessed Justice Leaguers. I love the fact that they went they went above and beyond to make sure that they kept the uh, the shards of the of the jewel in in most of if not all the shots got either some sort of reflective shine um as a reminder that they were possessed or you had these little purple uh purple little dots on them which uh reminded me of that they actually released a set of mattel figures uh with with that paint job do you remember that they did a whole six uh, i had forgotten that justice league set that came with an eclipso that had uh that had all of the justice league members from this episode with little purple dots on them so you could reenact this episode if you wanted to but uh yeah that that reminded me of that uh green lantern and I, I do love that uh, the possession of each of the the Justice League members, uh, once they were possessed, there was something snake-like, uh, especially with Jean and uh, and John uh, that uh, came out. John creating some snake constructs, or or Jean turning into a cobra. Uh, but I thought that that mm-hmm. was that was pretty a pretty neat visual for uh, for just sort of manifesting that possession in the in the character. So, yeah, those were the the highlights for me. What about you? Yeah, I think that's uh, a, a lot of the stuff I had as well. I will just mention briefly here. I think that that final sequence there, as uh, you know, where he, where he's running on the the track in uh, in space, is uh, is quite a bit of fun, and it does feel the 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 shots of like the the shadow falling over the the city that we see of, and people running scared. You do get this you know the sense of doom and and feeling like it's it's their last chance to stop this big uh, world ending event. So uh, it was, I think that's, that's really well done. And then yes, there's the sequence of flash. I think we talked about that a little bit last week, but it doesn't always feel like flash doesn't always feel that fast <laughs> despite being the best man alive. So anything where they actually show him really kind of turning it on and, uh, and, and just kind of focuses on, on his running, I think is a lot of fun. You get to see that in uh in part two there when he's running on the track and actually in part one too i think when uh when as you mentioned green lantern's trying to contain the flames and then uh and then flash sort of does again the one of the classic flash tricks of running around the circle to create the tornado but this time he does it on the water and takes like a giant water spout with him to go put out the flames 
I think that's a really fun sequence. So I like seeing uh, any episode, especially obviously since this is a, a flash focused month where our heroes are kind of using their specific set of powers to kind of problem solve their way through whatever the issue is. So I thought that's pretty fun. Yeah, the, the sequence of, I think especially when when he's when he's trying to radio for Batman and then you just see you know the the heat vision shoot in and blow up the console and then you turn around and as at, before he can really do anything he gets blasted in the arm and then blasted in the leg and and you see superman there sort of standing mostly in shadow but then you see the the little bits of the gem sort of sparkling on his skin and and then his eyes begin to glow there's really good like ominous uh you know it, it feels real dire in that moment so i think that's a that's a really fun sequence and then uh, right before Flash uh, opens up the, uh, the the lead shielding or whatever to, re to reveal this big bright light from the energy core, uh, we get a shot of sort of all, all five of the leaguers sort of walking in almost complete silhouette, but they all have sort of just these like yellow eyes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and again, you kind of see the, the gems sparkling in all their skin. I thought that was a really fantastic visual as well. So, and, and just that bit of where, you know, every time someone takes control of the snake and then again, there at the end, you see the, you know, they touch the snake and then you see like the, the translucent snake sort of shoot out and, and go into the brain and you get the sort of quick, quick, uh, you know, camera trick where the, you know, the, the camera comes running up at a close up at, at one of these snake monsters, I think is a, is a really fun visual as well. And then uh, the reverse of that, then when, when Flash turns on the, the bright light and, and all of, you see all the snakes come out of, uh, of the various Justice Leaguers at the end, I think is, uh, is a lot of fun as well. So yeah, overall, I think this is a, a pretty fantastic uh, visual uh, episode and uh, I ended up giving it a very strong nine out of 10. Yeah, I went just a point lower. I went eight out of 10 for my own score. I think it's very strong. As you mentioned, we covered a lot of the, the great things. We probably missed a few uh, in that just uh, there were so many visuals that were mm -hmm. um, that were just kind of stunning. And I felt like last week, I, we didn't get a chance to mention it when we covered uh, last week's episode and uh, the Brave and the Bold, uh, but everybody seemed a little bit more uh, it was a different style of, of drawing. I feel like this week, everybody felt a little bit more on model. Um, Flash wasn't as like elongated and, and sort of distorted as a, as a character. Everybody felt a little bit more on on, uh, on model this week. So uh, that also, I think, helped with, uh, with an episode that had a lot of outstanding visuals to, to boot. Agreed. And I will just mention, this is maybe more of a plot note, but at one point uh, during uh, one of Godfrey's rants, he holds up a book called like The Innocent Seduced or something like that um, and refers to a Dr. Frederick. Of course, this is a, a reference to a, a very infamous, if you're, if you're a big comics nerd, you probably are aware of this, but there was a, a book written in the, in the 1950s by a, by a Dr. Friedrich Wortham uh, called Seduction of the Innocent, which was all about how uh, you know, comic books and superheroes were contributing to juvenile delinquency and, and, uh, and, and uh, crime and all of this stuff, you know, not unlike you might see a, a modern pundit or politician blaming, uh, you know, violent video games or something. Right. Uh, 
it created superheroes. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was directly responsible for the Comics Authority Code ultimately getting getting made, and which absolutely for, for a very long time needlessly inhibited comic creators <laughs> from from doing very much. It it ultimately took Batman from the dark character that he was originally created and put it in that uh, which is now a lovable era, but the the Dick Sprang era and the mm-hmm. the, the fanciful sci-fi goofy bright colored era of comics it really almost killed the comic book industry uh, qu- quite frankly absolutely uh, during that period yeah, it was yeah the the comics code authority was was kind of that that last ditch effort of the of the comics industry as a whole trying to avoid having if if they had not gov- put that those uh, sanctions on themselves there likely would have been federal regulations put upon them. So that was their sort of last ditch effort. And, and this book, Seduction of the Innocent, was a huge part of the, the frenzy that was sort of whipped up over that at the time. So it was a fun little bit there in the middle of our episode where we have a character sort of decrying superheroes and, and, uh, and, and calling, you know, calling them the you know, a, a proof of the decay of, of moral society even within the fictional world where superheroes are actually real and are saving the world every other day. I thought that was a fun little, uh, little tie-in little, little Easter egg there for, uh, to, to throw in there as well, to have the, have the book there. But uh, from there, Cal, that will bring us to our third category, which is music. We of course have the great Christopher Carter on uh, on the job this week for our score, and uh, you already t- sort of touched on it because it is a big part of the plot. But that uh, that Eclipso evil gem theme is really the 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 rhythm of the whole episode, uh, and that that kind of permeates all throughout most of even even the action beats and 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 throughout really both parts played in different ways as you mentioned sometimes hummed by you know, the various actors, the voice actors, sometimes it's played in sort of a very dramatic, angry way. Sometimes it's played really, you know, loudly on, on horns and things like that for some of the action beats, but it is kind of a throwback to, I feel like something that we don't necessarily see often in these later uh, series feels almost like something you would expect from an earlier Batman episode here where 100. you really do have the, the villain's theme is sort of what drives both parts of this episode uh musically yeah absolutely and it's not uh they went more uh, classic with this classic dcau in that it's not uh not all synthesizers it felt definitely more like a, a classic orchestral piece um it very well could have been uh, a synthesizer emulating a uh a, a or- orchestra but uh for whatever reason this stood stood out a lot more having uh, what sounded like more classic strings and you have some more uh, woodwind instruments that again you were more certainly more accustomed to during the uh, the early days of the DCAU particularly Batman the animated series but this this music for this episode kicks ass like it's good from the get-go from the reveal of the mm-hmm. opening scene um, you get a you get a little piece that 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 drops in and you get uh, you know you get a like I said some some woodwind instruments mixed with the those those stringed instruments that come up and then much more grand uh, scene focused uh, piece of music that sort of accompanies this reveal of what this uh, what this gems evil nature is it felt uh, akin to uh, certainly and and maybe it's just the uh, maybe it's the style of the scene but uh, certainly like an Indiana Jones or something like of that of that adventure um, 
you know, uh, they are definitely in a desert. So Middle East adventure type of theme. And the fact that the characters, as, as we mentioned, go on to, to hum or whistle the tune for the remainder of the episode when they're in possession of the of the uh, the actual gem itself really, really drives home the importance of this piece in a way that I, I don't know that we have for another episode uh, in in uh, post, you know, post Superman or post. Uh, post Batman Beyond, maybe so. Um, a really, really solid stuff from the start all the way up through and including that final scene with uh, with Flash running to the, towards the sun. I thought the the grand orchestral theme that was used. You get a little bit of the Green Lantern theme used mm-hmm. uh, during the the scene where they're stopping the fire, and then um, it's it's sprinkled in in that last scene with Flash running towards the sun. Also, just really, really solid stuff building up the magnitude of of the scene matching what you're watching on on the on the screen itself so uh, i felt like i had no choice but to give music a perfect 10 out of 10 what about you nice yeah i gave it the exact same score even though it is is that one refrain it's 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 again what we've talked about a lot with some of the best themes in in any of these series which is that not only is the theme good on its own and memorable and you, you find yourself kind of humming it to yourself after you've watched the episodes, but then it, you know, the, the way they sort of interlaid it on top of some of the other music, like certain during the action beats and some of the more dire moments there, I think is, is fantastic. There's also, of course, you know, at one point when the, the, the possessed Superman goes to attack the flash, we get a little bit of Shirley Walker's, uh, Superman theme played, but in this like very minor off kilter key, it makes it just so it's, it's, it feels really horrifying when he shows up at that point and you match that with the, the glowing red eyes of the, of the heat vision. It's, it's a, it's a lot of fun there. So yeah, just out, you know, just Mr. Carter, you know, not surprisingly perhaps, but just absolutely knocked it out of the park this week. Absolutely. And I think we should give credit. I, I feel like I, I haven't confirmed this. I didn't see the confirmation anyway, but perhaps we could reach out to our dynamic music partner, uh, Twitter friends, but feels like the feels like it was taken uh, a, a bit from inspiration from uh, Chopin's famous funeral march, you know, the famous like that. Oh, you mean the Undertaker's theme? Or the Undertaker's theme, yes, more commonly known as the Undertaker's theme. <laughs> right. yes. But uh, yeah, originally composed by the great Chopin, so. Yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah, it's a great piece of music, and it uh, it's a, it's a great refrain there again, whether played on the instruments or hummed by our voice actors. And speaking of our voice actors, what a transition! Uh, we have our final category of the day here, Cal, which is of course our voice acting, and we have a pretty big guest cast as well as six of our seven main justice leaguers to talk about so i will uh i will start breaking that down for us here uh in some some minor roles we actually have some some famous people here we have uh playing this the first soldier who's possessed uh i believe the last name given is burns we have uh, ted mcginley uh who people would know from married with children and uh, a few other sitcoms and things across the years uh not much, not much to say there, but a, a familiar voice. And uh, we also have Bruce McGill as uh, as General McCormick, uh, who uh, again he gets a little bit more to do because he's uh, 
he's uh, he actually gets to be the 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 villain who attacks the justice league at the uh, at the end of part one there but uh, i do I, I did enjoy the bit there where he's sort of trying to mimic human behavior and he's learning to salute and then starts asking these these ridiculous questions of the other soldiers about how he could uh, how he could get after the justice league and things like that he gets a, a there's a little bit of humor in, in that moment where he's not trying to necessarily reveal that he's uh, possessed just yet yeah, he's he. I, I think those are the standout parts when he has to sort of struggle through dialogue, and that's actually a, obviously a trait that they pass between each character once the gem is passed. Is they're not they're not quite familiar or as familiar with modern human technology or human human traits, so they have to kind of struggle their way and try and educate themselves as they go. So, yeah, I, I think he's perfectly fine in what they asked him to do, and uh, I I think he's a uh, he's a solid voice for. A character again that has sort of this legendary status as Eclipso. So uh, it it he could, didn't come off as Saturday morning maniacal cartoon, which is probably the way that you would have gone if you were taking this character seriously. But because he's not being taken seriously, makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And then uh, another playing in sort of a minor role, another pretty famous name, Brian Doyle Murray who is maybe not somebody you have name recognition for, but I promise if you Google this guy, you'll know who he is. Uh, tons, of, tons of credits to his name, like the last National Lampoon's movie and, uh, and Wayne's World. Uh, also, perhaps most importantly, for listeners of our show at least, uh, the voice of the Flying Dutchman on SpongeBob. Oh, there we go. See, now we found one. Now we, <laughs> That's now we got it. Yeah, we're, this speed. is my, my wheelhouse right here. So uh, yeah, and this just and uh, the the character model also appeared to be based on the the real life actor there, but just playing the the sleazy uh, agent to the Flash, who then immediately sells him out, and then he's trying to get Wonder Woman on as a client at one point. I think he's he's really fun, even though it's kind of a, a small role. It's always fun when some of the more famous character actors get brought in here here and there by uh, by Andrea Romano for these types of roles. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh it's certainly a a fun a fun uh fun casting and and uh are are we surprised that Andrea Romano is really good at her job and has been for was, <laughs> was for the duration of the DCAU. Very very often I I'd say very few times rather were there times where we question the casting of somebody. I I think more often than not we talk about how she hit a home run and I don't have any qualms with this one. So uh, I I'd say she uh she went after a, a voice actor who is solid and 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 good in in what they in their history and their career and uh she knocked another one out of the park so uh another attaboy for miss uh for miss romano absolutely and then just briefly we'll mention of course lauren tom a dcau veteran once again appears here as the uh, the female soldier in part one but uh, getting to the to the heavy hitter uh uh guest stars this week Maybe uh, a really fun one here. Tracy Walter playing uh, Mofir, who folks, again, listening to this show at least, would probably know best as Bob the Goon from the 1989 Batman film. Get out of town. That's a, and he kind of he has that Bob the Goon look out of him as a character <laughs> design too, with the, the bald hair and the like messed up teeth and the beard and all that stuff. That's a, that's a solid that's a solid casting right there and he's a because he's not a serious character for the majority of it it's uh it's it, you know it's it's kind of hard to hard to fully grade him on it but as the goofy character I, i'd say he he did a he did a great job as well and, and having that link 
link to the the original DNA on which the DCAU was founded is is a uh, is a nice little little head I mean a hat tip and homage to uh, to its roots. So gotta love that. Absolutely, I think my favorite scene of his is the first time we go back when he's sort of still in the the buried temple. And he's sort of, and he's just sort of talking to himself about like, told not, told you all not to go here, but she went there. Nobody listened. Not, not Mofir's fault. Like he's like, he's like justifying it to himself. Right. It's not his fault that the gem got taken. Like, like but I'll still get blamed like, anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> his voice is definitely kind of like, I, I guess like an Igor type, like he's kind of, yes, mm-hmm. master, like you know, kind of doing a, a classic sidekick uh to uh to dr frankenstein uh so doing that you know but so it's not necessarily a unique voice but i i think it fit fit this character perfectly and those scenes where he does get to share a little bit of dialogue and then he gets to as you mentioned earlier he gets to lay the the lure on us and and give us the full backstory of the snake people versus uh humans so uh, he does have a, a lot of the a lot of the load to carry there as far as being both a comedic character and being kind of goofy, but also being able to kind of slow down and deliver that, that uh, exposition in a, in a more serious tone. So uh, yeah, I think unsurprisingly another, another home run. Absolutely. And then uh, playing, playing Godfrey, I saved him for last. We have uh, a Re- uh, Enrico Colantoni, uh, who folks would know from among things, he was the dad on Veronica Mars. He's also one of the leads on the uh, one of those shows that existed for like six years and nobody remembers. Just shoot me. Oh, uh, okay. played uh, played Elliot. Like oh yeah, of course. Mean guy, it's the bald Absolutely. guy on that show. Yep. Um, and you know, also in things like AI and and a few other things. Again, I think. We, we kind of already talked about what, what this character is obviously based on the, you know, the cable news outrage uh, inducing pundit, uh, uh, which again is a, is sort of an evergreen concept going, you know, you think back to like the Dark Knight Returns graphic novels in the 80s, this is not necessarily a new phenomenon, uh, but uh, pretty, pretty evergreen and I think he does just such a great job the scene where the flash goes to confront him. And he has like two lines that really made me lose it. One is when he when he asked why, if the Justice League is so great, why is white collar crime up three <laughs> percent? Which I thought was was, was hilarious. And then uh, his other line is that why why if the Justice League is so great, do fifty percent of marriages end in divorce, and the other fifty percent end in death? <laughs> like I thought that was such a funny line and he was so uh, so good in doing the uh, the faux outrage and uh, and sort of the uh, the fear-mongering uh, cable news host he was I thought fantastic in this role yeah that that uh, I would not have pinpointed this actor as this voice but as you said perfect casting um, his balance also between being uh, being faux outraged and continuing to try and stir the pot and then as soon as the cameras are off uh, he, he makes nice tries to make nice with the flash and tell him it's just business which feels so on point for every talking head that's on that's on cable news these days that uh, so it, it again it's it's a caricature of what we know and is unfortunately our reality here in 2022 but <laughs> But it because it's a because it's a it's mocking it and it was 
18 years ago or 19 years ago that this debuted like it's funny that it's funny how on point it still remains so yeah his his performance uh he he sort of just kind of bridges the 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 parts that are happening the the main story parts as you mentioned he's definitely the b plot and uh, trying to get the flash and and create this outrage and, and stir the pot against the justice league. Um, I like that. He calls them the just us league. And then, <laughs> and then uh, once the, once the ish hits the fan, as they say, he, uh, he immediately cries for his mommy, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, another solid performance and, and certainly worthy of, uh, of notating a, a, a character that was written to be this caricature, but uh, was, the performance is, is done spot on uh, regardless. And it wasn't, uh, it doesn't distract from it, that it's a caricature feels legit. Absolutely. And uh, of course he gets to play off many of our main justice leaguers. Of course, this week we have Susan Eisenberg as wonder woman, Phil Lamar as green lantern, Carl Lumbly as Martian Manhunter, George Newbern as Superman, Maria Canales Barrera as Hawk girl. And of course, Michael Rosenbaum as the flash. And obviously, Cal, it's Flash Month. We picked a Flash-centric episode, so unsurprisingly, uh, at least as far as our main leaguers go, it is a very Michael Rosenbaum-heavy episode. And uh, again, I think he's I think he's pretty fantastic, playing off of, of Phil Lamar's Green Lantern, playing off of, of Susan Eisenberg, especially as Wonder Woman's very indignant and kind of in a bad mood after hearing Godfrey uh, disparage her and, and all of that, and then leading into part two where he's all alone against the rest of the uh, the possessed Justice League. Uh, not surprisingly, he uh, he hits it out of the park this week. I thought. Yeah, this this week. I know we mentioned last week that um, it felt like maybe he recorded his lines separately, or maybe they they just didn't quite have the chemistry yet between him mm-hmm. and Phil Lamar. But uh, season two, we're well into obviously the the chemistry working between these characters and have done multiple episodes where you have performances playing off each other. And this felt so much more natural and so much more uh, what we're used to for this character. Again, not that last week's performance in the Brave and the Bold, which you can hear in the archives at DCAUreview.com or on your favorite podcast app. Um, not that it was a bad performance, but it just felt like there was uh, not a, not quite the the click there between the two the two characters that are playing off each other this week it felt uh, completely the opposite felt natural that from the opening scene where they're sitting in the in the diner and eating the food together and and green lantern is trying to trying to convince him to to not go down this path of paid endorsements to um the, them working together later on when eclipso uh, himself comes down and, and tries to blow up the the part of the city um to the very end where they're uh, where where green lantern creates the the bridge for him to run out on i thought it all felt very natural and as you mentioned he's got a lot to do his interactions with his uh with his agent really hilarious uh you know it 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 felt it felt natural felt really legit and uh and funny and um so whether it was just getting more comfortable with the character or maybe just if this was one of those sessions where they're all in the same place together or um maybe last week was last week was just simply the exception i felt like his his performance this week was outstanding it was it was really good absolutely and uh, i think i think phil lamar is really our only other and and susan eisenberg are really our, our two other leaguers although much as we said it's much more of a flash episode they probably have the most to do susan eisenberg gets to do a little bit of the like the comedic side of the episode is 
as she's sort of reacting very, very outraged towards what uh, what Godfrey and then the Flash's agent are sort of saying to her, and uh, and then her having to deal with. Uh, she's probably the the leaguer who's possessed the longest, so she gets to do a little bit of like evil evil possessed Wonder Woman as well. When uh, when Mofir attacks at first, she kind of gets a little bit of dialogue there taunting her, but uh, you know the rest of our league is mostly just there to exchange a few words and maybe a little bit of exposition. But uh, overall, I think on the strength of our, our guest cast and and Michael Rosenbaum, I uh, I had no choice but to give us a a very strong uh, nine out of 10 this week for voice acting. There you go. Uh, I went with the same exact score, nine out of 10 for all the reasons we just mentioned. It's really, really solid. Lots of fun had this week by a, a pretty large cast and uh, even having our, some of our leaguers play as, as supporting cast, I think uh, is a testament to just how deep the, the roster went for this episode of solid players. So which I guess will bring us to our, uh, our final scores here, Liam. Totaling up everything for this week's episode, Liam, I ended up with a pretty strong 35 out of 40. What about you? <laughs> and uh, I ended up with the exact same score of 35 out of 40. I, I think we were each off one point than each other in two of our categories. So, uh, But that ends up in the same final score Cal, uh, so we get to talking about rewatchability. Um, I I wouldn't say this is a must watch, in at least in the way that we usually talk about it. There's the Eclipso or this this gem or this race of snake people. There's a different race of snake people that show up later in the the uh, the the center of the Earth JLU episode, but I don't think they're supposed to be the same ones. So I don't really think there's like there's not really any like lore here if you don't watch this episode. You do get, you know, it's a fun episode. It's a fun flash focus episode, but I, I kind of feel like this is one that you could, even though it's really good, I wouldn't say this is a, a must watch or must rewatch if you're, if you're just going for the, the top, top episodes here. What about you? Yeah, I, I'd say this is probably a one thumb up just because it's a good flash episode. And uh, as we're covering mm-hmm. flash this week or this month, the entirety of this month, we're highlighting him. If you're looking at the best flash episodes, certainly that's a good, mm-hmm. uh, good excuse to watch this episode, but long-term there's not a whole lot of, uh, a lot of impact uh, on the entirety of the DCAU. So you might even argue me into a, into no thumbs up. This is a, <laughs> this is a skip. So it's a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, necessarily skip it out of uh out of not liking it clearly but i i don't know that i go out of my way to say yeah this is the top five of my favorite justice league episodes ever so uh yeah so maybe a a one one thumb up yeah we do get we do get a couple of references they're they're short-lived and probably not integral to the plots but there are at least a couple references to uh to flash's uh endorsements and and some of the other leaguers uh, kind of busting his chops over that uh, as, as the series goes on. So we can give it a, a thumbs up, uh, some sort of combination, uh, one thumb up between it being a fun episode and uh, some, some minor little references that, you, that you'll get if you, uh, if you catch the references later on in, in JLU, perhaps. So I think, I think we can add that up to a single thumb up from those. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough, but fair. I, I agree with you. 
All right, Calum. Yeah, that will uh, that will begin to wrap us up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, whether you do so on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If, if you do listen on Spotify, not only can you rate us like you can on a lot of the other podcast apps, but you also will get a uh, there's a little exclusive poll a question set up for you to answer if you're on Spotify. So go ahead and answer that. Let us know what you think, and then uh, of course you can also, as mentioned, find our episodes on the pod tower youtube channel even if you don't uh, listen to a lot of your podcasts on youtube uh, if you could go up and go to youtube.com slash the pod tower and subscribe that does help us up uh, helps us out as does leaving a review and giving us five stars and all that stuff on the various podcast apps uh, just helps get uh, more eyes and ears on the show and we appreciate that uh, if you do want to support us directly you could head to dcaureview.com we have a store uh, where you could pick yourself up a hat or a mug or a sticker or something. And uh, of course, you can also head directly to our main anchor site. They actually have a, a little donate button on there. If you happen to have a, a little bit of spare change, we always appreciate that. But uh, regardless of, of all that, we appreciate all the support we have now and uh, the feedback we've been getting. This is certainly a month uh, uh, after, uh, after all that time in Zeta and the Elseworld stuff. It's been fun uh, hearing people kind of get a little more energized as we've gotten back into the main DCAU here. And uh, Cal will be coming back next week with another DCAU episode, another DCAU flash focus episode. In fact, it'll be one going a little bit further into the timeline as it's another episode of Justice League Unlimited we'll be covering next week. That is right, Liam. We will be covering the episode uh, surrounding uh, another character that is a fan favorite and has uh, probably within the last 10 years has gained more popularity based on the uh, the run that uh, writer Tom King had on the on his uh, his solo book, and that is Mr. Miracle. We'll be covering the episode The Ties That Bind. So another fun episode here, um, a Justice League Unlimited. We're headed headed to the future a few years uh, so uh, can't wait to cover this one it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun time absolutely you got the flash you got mr miracle and big barda you get a little bit of taste of really for the first time in a long time you get to see what's been going on on apocalypse post the events of twilight parts one and two so a lot of moving parts as, uh, as we continue to bring you flash focused episodes all month long And we can't wait to bring you that review next week. But until then, I'm Liam. And I'm Cal. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the ECAU Review. Bye-bye.